Harvest Muskoka, Harvest Perry Sound, why don't you go ahead and grab your Bibles and turn to Genesis chapter 16. If you don't have a Bible on you this morning, we'd love to get a Bible into your hands. So we have ushers coming forward right now. So if you didn't bring a Bible or you forgot your Bible or don't own a Bible, throw your hand up, grab one of these. And if you don't own a Bible, for sure, grab one of these as our gift to you. Take it home with you so you have a copy of God's Word. As you're turning to Genesis chapter 16, we're continuing a series that we've called Increase as we're following along with the life of Abraham. And, and what you've maybe noticed is that there are a lot of things we've talked about so far that really fit well. You could, you could make them into really good Harvest Kids, Sunday school sort of lessons. And, and I love what we do here at our, our Muskoka campus, that that's what we do. I mean, Harvest Kids right now, they're tracking right along the, the scripture and the same scriptures we're opening up here and we're digging into here. We, we do that on purpose. So when you, when you go home, if you've got kids, Kids, you can say, hey, what did you guys talk about this morning? Like, we talked about Abraham. Hey, so do we. And, you, and as a family, you can dig into it together, right? That's, that's why we do it, to have that connection point as we walk this stuff out as families. Now, in saying all of that, I feel real bad for Sharon, our Harvest Kids director, today, because this story right here does not transfer well into a Harvest Kids story um, it's a story that, that um, probably fits better in a Jerry Springer show or a TMZ episode, right? Way more than flannel graph and coloring pages. I'm not sure how she's going to rock this thing out this morning, but ask your kids. It'll be kind of fun to see what she's done, right? <clears throat> now, in saying all that, you're probably going, really? That, what kind of sermon is this? Like, I'm leaning in this morning. This is going to be great. Here, here's one of these accounts in Scripture that we, we can look at with our cultural glasses on and we can go, man, this is why I don't like the Bible, it, it, it's completely jacked up. It, it's, it's full of slavery and, and subjugation of women and, and sexual abuse and violence and brokenness. Why would we want to ever follow this book? Listen, though, this is important. The Bible is not a book about virtuous people. It's not a book with, with nice stories that have good morals that you need to follow. This account this morning, all of God's word, it's a book about God's grace. We, we would call it a gospel book, a good news book. It's a record of God's intervening grace into lives of people who were messed up. People who practiced slavery, people who practiced polygamy and, and, and abused people, people who, who don't deserve God's love and grace, people who don't seek it, people who continually resist it, people who even when God's grace is revealed to them, they don't appreciate it after they've been saved by it. But by definition, isn't that what grace is? It's, it's where God gives us something that we don't deserve, and we don't deserve to earn God's mercy and grace and love. It's all God's doing. And so when I think of what grace is, as we talked this morning, what's it look like to increase in grace, to increase in understanding God's grace and living out grace? Well, what is grace? I mean, sometimes you can think of it this way. If, if your boss were to come to you on Monday morning and say, hey, here's a task I need you to do and I need it done by Friday and you get to the end of the week and you're like, man, I'm not gonna be able to get this done. So you go to your boss to what? To ask for a little grace. Can you give me more time for this? That's not God's grace. God's grace would be this. Your boss saying, I've got a big project I need you to do. And then your boss saying, I'm going to do it for you completely. You're not going to do any of it. I'm going to do it all. And then your boss shows himself the work and says to you, great job. And you get a bonus for the work he did. That's grace. That's God's grace. 
that Jesus lived a perfect life we could not live. And then what did he do? He paid the penalty for our sins, for us failing to live up to God's holy and perfect standard. And we were then given the results of that sacrifice, the benefit, the blessing. We were set free like we've always been perfect, like Jesus who fulfilled it for us. So this morning, what we're gonna see really clearly as we dig into this chapter, chapter 16, is that, that even the, what we would call the heroes of the faith don't rise above their culture. Even the heroes of our faith don't rise above self-centeredness. They don't rise above pursuing their own heart's desires and yet God continues to come to them. He continues not to give up on them. He continues to patiently speak into their lives, to, to rescue them, to transform them again and again and again and again. And listen, God is seeking you and I this morning in the same way. God is calling you from your striving, your failing, your pride, your hurts, and he's calling you and pursuing you and saying, listen, I'm calling you to hope, to, to real life, to freedom as we repent and surrender our lives to him. And so quickly, if you were here last week, Abram goes from chapter 15 being shown unbelievable hope and promise as God says, I'm gonna fulfill this. Here's my promise for you. And now we jump into chapter 16 where we're gonna see Abram and his wife Sarai fall and fail beyond anything you could ever imagine. So let me give you the take-home point right away. What are we gonna be talking about this morning? It's this, this whole count this morning is going to highlight our desperate need for God's grace. Today, I need God's grace. Tomorrow, I will need God's grace. Uh, I need grace to increase in my life, God's grace to increase in my life, that, that I can then live out that grace for others. My prayer for us as a church would be this, God, increase us in an understanding and embracing and arresting in your grace. Increase us in that so you can increase us on mission, on your mission of grace, God. I'd say this before we jump in. I would say, I mean, this is gonna sound odd, but I love Genesis chapter 16, and here's why. Because I think if we're honest, uh, I more live out a Genesis 16 kind of faith than a Genesis 12 kind of faith. The, the just go and trust God, leave it all, and just radically embrace God's call. I, I, I kind of live out Genesis 16 more than Genesis 12. I live out Genesis 16 more than, than the Genesis 15 where you just rest in the promises of God. Most often, maybe this is true for you as well, I find myself bumping, bumping up against Genesis chapter 16 kind of following God. But listen, even in that, even if you can say amen to that or man, me more so, that listen, listen, God's grace is still pursuing you. God is still faithful when we are not. So let's jump in this morning. Here's what we're gonna find this morning. We're gonna, we're gonna walk through Abram and Sarah. We're gonna see, first of all, this, our first point, they have a problem. Okay, we're gonna see the problem. After that, we're gonna see their solution to the problem, which leads to a deeper problem. Okay, so first of all, though, the problem. God had promised Abram and Sarai, he promised that they would have a son, eventually a whole boatload of kids, more than, than you could count the stars, a whole, a whole nation would come from them. And, and then they were promised that because of that, that God's blessing to them would be a blessing to the world. He's increasing them to increase God's mission. 
And so we've seen over the last few chapters of Genesis, we've been walking through, they're living in light of this promise God's given them, but it's been 10 years of waiting for this child to come. Abraham and Sarah had, had never had children. They're, they're getting up in years into their 70s and 80s. Sarai still barren. I mean, this is a huge deal. Year after year, getting older and older, well beyond the age where you could think it would be possible to have kids. So this promise God gave is getting more and more bleak for this couple. But the, the problem goes even deeper than that when you think about what's going on in Sarai's heart. In this culture, to call a woman barren is to say that you're a failure as a woman. Now, in our culture, we don't talk like that uh, so much anymore, right? Not that it's any less painful today if you desperately want to be a mom and, and you're not able to see that happen. But in this culture, it was a loud word spoken over you as a woman you're less of a woman. You aren't complete. Now, we could say that we've come beyond that culture. We, mean, we wouldn't say those things. And yet, listen, every single culture has a standard that says, unless you're this, you're nobody. Unless you meet this standard, whatever that standard might be, you're nothing, you're a failure. In, in our culture, it, or, in, or maybe in your family, or maybe in your heart, what are the things being spoken over you? You'd better be good looking. You'd better be successful. You'd better be smart. You, you had better be popular. You had better have perfect kids. You had better look like the Pinterest account that you spend your time looking at that. Your house had better look like that. And Because and, if you don't, if you don't, you're a failure. Listen, listen, there's never been a culture that didn't say this, that didn't say you need this or you're nothing. And it's, it's this deep problem that we carry with us. And it's more than just cultural. It's more than just a, a physical or psychological problem. There's a spiritual battle that goes on in this struggle. In fact, look at verse 1 of chapter 16. It says in chapter, verse 1, Now Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children. She had a female Egyptian servant whose name was Hagar. And Sarai said to Abram, Behold now, the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. She said, the Lord's stopping this. The Lord's in my way of what I need and want. And here's this, this religious person. Sarah's not some person who doesn't understand God's promise. She's heard God's promise. She's somebody who would be sitting beside you in church today, but when, when push comes to shove, when, when she had a choice between choosing God or choosing what she wanted, having a child... When that choice is presented to her to choose between God and a baby, between God and, and, and trusting in his promise or, or getting this kid now, in choosing between God and what she thinks would bring her hope and identity and purpose, what did she want? She said, I want the baby. God, I don't want what you're promising. I want the baby now. And, and listen, there's, there's always that one thing in our life. We say, if, if I had this one thing, then everything would fall into place. All my pain would go away. Everything would be good if I just had this in my life. 
And there's something deeply spiritual happening in that moment as we wrestle through this. What we're, what we're doing is we're wrestling with this saying, saying, this thing that I want, this is becoming my salvation. This is my savior. This is my God. And that's what happened to Sarai. It was her hope, it was her significance, it was her identity, it was her everything, her salvation, her God. She drops the religious language and drops the religious game and she shows the real thing she's after. So I need this if I'm gonna be significant. Maybe you see this in your life. You certainly see it all through scripture. God has a unique way of bringing us to the end of ourselves, of, of leading his children to this place of emotional, physical, spiritual exhaustion as we try to pursue the horizontal and they don't satisfy and God leads us to that place of desperation and we collapse and God gently steps in and says, are you done fighting? I have everything you need. You can be set free. In fact, it's so ironic in the first two verses here that it talks about an Egyptian slave, a servant named Hagar. When you read this text, you see that Sarai is actually the one who's completely enslaved. I mean, the, the question we have to wrestle through as we read through this is say, man, how am I Sarai in this story? What am I a slave to? What, what do I say that I, I need this or else I'm barren? And if I had this, all my anxiety would cease. All my wants would stop. I would be happy if I had this one thing. And it, it could be money. It could be a career. It could be status. It could be, it could be a relationship. It could be if I just lost 15 pounds. What is it? Where you say, if, if, if I had this, I wouldn't need anything else. Listen, the result of those unmet desires, when our hearts are disordered, what happens when we stop wrestling down those lies of culture that says you need this to be whole, when we stop holding tightly to the promises of God, when the storm around us, when the cares of the world are so pressing in and we stop resting, we stop trusting, we stop clinging to the promises of God, what happens is we look for our solution to meet that need. I mean, it's, it's so easy for us to do. What, and what we'll do is we'll say, God, I'm gonna move around you to get what I want. In fact, we see it here in this text. Verse two goes on. And Sarah said to Abram, behold, now the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Go into my servant, Hagar. It may be that I shall obtain children by her. So first we had the problem. Here we have their solution. Point number two, their solution. Hey, hey, Abram, why don't you take my servant girl? Why don't you sleep with her? And then, then we can finally have a baby. Now, now you read this, and again, with our cultural eyes, we go, what? What is Sarah thinking? I mean, this is pure redneck Jerry Springer kind of stuff going on here. We think this is jacked up. This is, Sarah, you're a crazy lady. But listen, in this culture, what she suggests is common practice. People wouldn't think twice about this. Most people, if they, if they heard this from the culture Sarah and Abram are in, they would think, man, that's a great idea. What a, what a great solution to your problem. 
And her problem is she wanted the promise to move forward, this promise of a child. And, and she's come up with a great plan to make it happen. Like, high five, Sarah. This is a brilliant plan, Sarah. Way to go, Sarah. In this culture, what, what they would say is, Sarai owned Hagar. Hagar was a piece of property to her. And so that if, if, if Hagar were to, were to hook up with Abram and they would have a child, that child would legally belong to Abram and Sarah. Do you think nothing wrong with this? And Sarah, you're so smart about this. But listen, culture speaks very differently than God's word does about a lot of things, does it not? I mean, think about our culture. Culture says a, a lot of different things about money. Uh, about sex, about identity, about relationships, about family. And, and culture has a lot of solutions that, that while we're immersed in culture, when we feel pressed in or we're not getting what we want to, to make us not feel so barren, we look around and go, this looks like a good idea. I mean, how many ways can, can, can we look around and go, man, it would be easier to follow culture than to follow God's word. And, and, it, and it works. It, it, it looks like it's probably a better plan than God has. And so we think, about, you know, I'm not getting ahead in business and, and other people are being promoted ahead of me. So, so you know what? I'm just going to cheat. Everybody else does. I just won't do my taxes properly. That's what everyone does. It's okay. That's what culture, I, I'm not happy in my marriage. Maybe I could just mess around a little bit on the side or, or you know what? I mean, at least I could, I could immerse myself into pornography. Everybody does it. It must be okay. That, that person has hurt me deeply. I mean, think about how much our culture loves revenge. Think about the movies. Think about movies we watch and, and, and that have the main plot line is revenge and we, we love it. I mean, Liam Neeson would not be so cool if he picked up the phone and, 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 he, and, and the, the people who kidnapped his daughters on the other line and he says, I know who you are. I will find you and I will forgive you, right? <laughs> like that's not gonna be a great movie. We want him to go and, and open up a can on those guys all three times that he's got his daughter kidnapped. Like, shouldn't child services be involved in this at some point? I don't know. But anyway, what do, what do we do? When we're hurt, when somebody wounds us, it, it feels good to gossip. It feels, it feels good to retaliate. It feels good to hold on to bitterness. And Sarah, here she is. She's stepping outside of God's plan and God's promise. Why? Because she says, the Lord's preventing me. God, you're stopping me from being whole. You're stopping me from my life, and so I'm gonna make it happen. It's not happening on her timeline. So, so God, you must be against me, and so I've gotta make it happen. And, and listen, I get the struggle, don't you? I mean, we all want good things. We want peace. We want love. We want joy. We want happiness. I mean, these are hardwired into us as God's created us. They're, they're things that, that we, we desire because they're good things, but the problem is I don't just want love. I want love my way. I, I want happiness my way. I don't want to wait around for God's old school way of happiness. No, I can make it happen now. And, and this whole idea of obedience and humility and repentance and trusting in God, that's too hard. So, so like Sarai, 
You feel like, God, you're standing in my way. I can make this happen now. I'll find hope. I'll find significance. I'll find identity. I'll get them my way. And so Sarah takes this slave and look at verse two. She says, go into my servant. Says to Abram, go go into my servant that I, I shall obtain children by her. And Abram listened to the voice of Sarai. And the, the, the way the narrator writes this, when, he, when, when Moses is writing the, the book of Genesis, when he says, says, and Abram listened to his wife, Sarai, it's, it's the exact same phrase used all the way back in Genesis chapter three when God's talking about Adam and Eve. When, when Eve comes to Adam and says, hey, I got a better solution for our life and happiness. I know God told us not to eat this fruit, but man, it is good. It looks good. I think it's gonna bring us what we need. Why don't you take this? And in Genesis three, it says, and, and Adam listened to the voice voice of his wife. Same words here. So, so what's the moral of the story? And guys are going, obviously, don't listen to my wife, right? Yeah, that's not it, all right? Don't leave here thinking that, okay? Abram and Sarah are both failing here. That, that's what we're seeing in this. It's not just Sarah that's, that's, that's blowing it up. Abram here is being a passive husband, just as passive as Adam was in the beginning. His wife is stepping outside of God's plan, outside of God's plan that was so clear that marriage was to be exclusive. And Abram, as a godly husband, should have stepped in and said, Sarah, this isn't good. This isn't the way we're going to do this. I mean, yeah, it seems right because the culture says it's okay, but this is not God's plan. And, and Abram should have come alongside his wife with, with a rescue plan to bring her back to the Lord to say, I know you're hurting, but we can walk this out together. We can pray through this. We can walk through this. He should have been a husband that would say, hey, let's open up God's word and let's, let's see what God has to say. Let's seek out godly counsel. Let's pray and remember the promises of God in the midst of this pain, but instead... Instead of loving and protecting his wife, he stays passive in sin. They both thought maybe this is a good idea. But as we keep reading, what are we gonna see? We're gonna see this, that in them trying to solve the problem, here's our third point, they created a deeper problem a much deeper problem, a bigger problem, like trying to unravel your earbuds and not taking time to do it. You just, just rip them around and pull it, right? They get more tangled and more tangled, right? No, there's a, there's a plan for this. And Abram and Sarah are trying to solve a problem for God that God says, this isn't even a problem. I've got you in the middle of my plan. This is where I have you. I'm taking you to a place, God would say to Abram and Sarai, where your child will be a miracle baby. And if you find yourself in this place where you're like, man, it doesn't seem like God's answering it so hard. I'm so tempted to bail on God's promises here. Don't see it as an opportunity to solve a problem that God isn't saying is a problem. Because when we do that, we only make it a deeper problem. Look at verses three and four. So Abram had lived 10 years in the land of Canaan. Sarai, Abram's wife, took Hagar, the Egyptian, her servant, and gave her to Abram, her husband, as a wife. And he went into Hagar and she conceived. And when she saw that she conceived, she looked with contempt on her mistress. Do you see what's playing out here? So Hagar, the servant, 
now pregnant with, with Abram's child, right? She's starting to show, starting to look pregnant. And there, there's some things going on here. So, so here's one thing that'd be happening. Sarai, can you imagine the pain in her right now? Because what did this just reveal? It revealed that, that physically, the problem wasn't with Abram. Because Abram got Hagar pregnant. She's going, I, I'm the problem. You, you can imagine the pain of, of going, man, this is what I wanted. And now imagine the pain of, of now my servant gets what I wanted. Like, God, God, do you love this Egyptian servant more than you love me? Imagine the hurt and the pain and that alone. But it doesn't just stop there. It seems that for Hagar, this changed her a little bit. I mean, in that culture, a servant wouldn't look their mistress, their master, wouldn't look them in the eye. You wouldn't be able to as a servant. But I imagine that maybe now, now Hagar could just look her right in the eye. Carrying your baby. This is your husband's baby. You couldn't do this, and I did. I mean, it says that she looked at her with contempt. I don't know, somehow she rubbed it in, somehow with words or, or maybe just in the way she carried herself with a bit of swagger around the, around the home. I don't know, but, but here it is. It's like being with a group of friends and maybe, maybe you've, you you know, go all through college and university together and then, then your friends start getting married and you're not. And, and, and the pain as those years go on, the, as hard as it is to keep attending another wedding, great, another beautiful wedding. You guys are kissing and so in love, right? As hard as that is, now imagine your friend saying to you, well, you know, if you just kind of took better care of yourself, you might find somebody. You know, right? You're feeling it. All right, there you go, right? This pours fire on the pain and it starts a war between these two ladies. Verse five, it says, and Sarai said to Abram, may the wrong done to me be on you. I gave my servant to your embrace. And when she saw she conceived, she looked on me with contempt. May the Lord judge between you and me. Imagine being the husband right here. Do you see the weirdness of this? Sarai has completely lost it, all right? She's saying, I gave you this servant and you had sex with her and now she's pregnant and you're gonna be judged for this. And Abraham's like, you told me to do this. Why, why am I being yelled at? This was your plan, Sarah. The, the problem's getting worse. Isn't, can you see this growing? They're, they're making it a deeper problem. In fact, in Galatians chapter four, it says this, Abram had two sons. One son was by works and one was by the promise. You see, Isaac is going to be born. Isaac, his name means laughter, joy. The promise is gonna be fulfilled, but, but there's two and God says, listen, I'm gonna bring you hope. I'm gonna bring you joy. I'm gonna bring you identity and purpose, but it's not gonna come by what you're doing on your own performance. Man, man when you make who you are before the Lord based on what you've done, it always blows it up. When you say, if I only had this, then I won't be barren any longer, you always end up enslaved. To it. This is why Sarah is acting like a total nut bar here. Why? Because she's so desperate for something that she can't have. And she's hurting. And she's, she's looking for a way to be freed from this inner bondage, but she stepped outside of God's grace saying, I'm going to do this on my own. And she's more enslaved than ever. Abraham doesn't help at all. 
He continues to stay passive. Look, look at verse six, just a, a horrible situation. Abram said to Sarai, behold, your servant is in your power. Do to her as you please. He's like, she's just a slave. I don't care. It says this, then Sarai dealt harshly with her and she fled from her. That, that word there, dealt harshly, we, we don't get the, the full weight of it. It wasn't that she, just, she spoke tough words to her. It's the same word, dealt harshly, when it talks about in, in, in Exodus, when, when God's people were enslaved to the Egyptians, the Egyptians dealt harshly with the Israelites. You could fill in the blanket. Sarah's abusing this servant now. And the servant takes off. Hagar runs. I mean, it's such a tragic story, isn't it? You've got this, this supposedly godly couple, this couple that God said, you're going to be where my promise will be fulfilled, and it's a total train wreck. And now this couple that's supposed to be used by God as a blessing to others is hurting this poor servant girl, Hagar. We've said this before, it's, it's so true that hurt people hurt people. And you see it being lived out here and Hagar runs and, and you get to this part of, the, of this account and you're like, where's the hope in this story? Where will hope come in all this brokenness? And here it is, our last point this morning. God breaks in with grace and restoration. God breaks in with, with grace and with restoration. So Hagar now running, and where she's running? She's running back to Egypt. She's, she's running home. There, so you, you picture this, this, this girl, this young pregnant girl running through the desert. It, how bad must it have been with Abram and Sarah that she would run into that danger? Verse seven says this as she's fleeing. The angel of the Lord found her by a spring of water in the wilderness, the spring on the way to Shur. And he said, Hagar, servant of Sarai, where have you come from and where are you going? And she said, I'm fleeing from my mistress, Sarai. So the angel of the Lord shows up and, and before we move on, we gotta understand something about who this is. The angel of the Lord, not just an ordinary angel. Whenever angels show up, how do we know that? Whenever angels show up, a lot of times people start worshiping them. As you could imagine, this heavenly being showing up, they fall on their face, they start worshiping and angels always say, no, 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 don't do that. Get up. Don't worship me. When you see the angel of the Lord show up, oftentimes in the Old Testament, oftentimes people will worship and the angel of the Lord allows them to worship. Hmm, maybe not a normal angel. We're gonna see here in this account that the angel of the Lord is gonna give a promise to, to Hagar that, that's almost the exact same promise given to Abram. So now this angel of the Lord is giving promises and Hagar will then call this angel of the Lord, will call them God and the angel doesn't correct Hagar. This angel of the Lord showing up, it's interesting. So, so God showing up Looking like a man doesn't freak Hagar out. I mean, who is this? Who, what God shows up like a man? Listen, listen, when you see angel of the Lord in the Old Testament, it is a pre-incarnate Jesus Christ. It's Jesus showing up in the Old Testament and Jesus, God himself, here finds Hagar. He says, hey, hey, where have you come from and where are you going? And, and Hagar really only answers the one question. Goes, I'm running away from that, that psycho chick, Sarai. I'm out of here. Doesn't say where she's going. 
She goes, I'm done. I'm, I'm done with them. And maybe right now you, you feel a bit like Hagar. You, you can relate to her in this story where somebody's hurt you deeply. They've done an injustice to you. Maybe they are continuing to do an injustice to you. And you don't know what to do about it. Or maybe your hurt's harder to label than, than just somebody's done something to you. There's, there's no clear explanation for it. You, you just know you hurt inside. There's this, this dark cloud of depression over you. There's, there's an anxiety that hangs over you and you can't figure out how to shake it and you feel alone and hopeless and running. Listen, you need to know that God has not forgotten about you. God, God has not forsaken you. God finds Hagar here out in the wilderness. She's alone, she's afraid, she's been abused and used and thrown away. She's a nobody and a nothing to culture and yet God comes near. She doesn't know where she's gonna go. She doesn't know what she needs to do. She doesn't know how to make sense of all this stuff that's happened to her, that's been done to her, the great pain that's in her and the angel of the Lord says, hey, here's what you're gonna do. Look at verse nine. The angel of the Lord said to her, return to your mistress and submit to her. All right, now, now this sounds crazy if you're reading this, does it not? Hey, go back to those crazy abusive people. Now, now we need to be careful here, all right? This isn't something that we, we can just take and, hey, let's apply this to every situation now. And, and so when somebody's abusing, you know, Genesis 16, you need to go back to your abuser. That's a, that's a brutal interpretation of this. As a church, we need to protect and care for those who are abused. The instruction here, it's a specific instruction to a specific person for a specific purpose that God's working out here in Genesis. But there's a general application for all people everywhere, no matter what situation you're in. And it's this, it's God saying to Hagar, trust me. God doesn't just send her back without a promise, without hope. In fact, God says, I'm sending you back with a message of grace, a message of faith. He's saying to Hagar, trust me. He's saying to you this morning, trust me. I'm writing a, a magnificent story with your life and, and the end of it, you don't see it yet. But, but listen, Listen, the end, you will see the vindication. You'll see the hope. You'll see the restoration you're looking for. And he says this to Hagar, verse 10. The, the angel of the Lord also said to her, I will surely multiply your offspring so that they cannot be numbered for multitude. And the angel of the Lord said to her, behold, you are pregnant and shall bear a son and you shall call his name Ishmael because the Lord has listened to your aff affliction. Ishmael means the God who hears. He shall be a wild donkey of a man, his hand against everyone and everyone's hand against him. And he shall dwell over and against his kinsmen. That's the promise he's giving. You're going to have a, a nation come from your child. Now, now, it doesn't sound like a great promise. Your kid's gonna be a wild donkey, all right? I was like, really, that's the promise, Lord? But you gotta understand, in this culture, that, that's not a hugely bad thing. That's like us saying, your kid is gonna be Chuck Norris. You're like, Really? Like, he's going to just kick butt everywhere, right? So he's going to be this, this powerful boy. He's going to be this powerful man. Now he's going to be in fights all the time. He's going to be this leader leading in this, these battles. Verse 13 says, So she called the name of the Lord who spoke to her. You are a God of seeing. 
For she said, truly here I have seen him who looks after me. Therefore, the well was called Bir Lahawara or something. And, and it lies between Kadesh and Bered. It means the, the well of the living one who sees me. The well of the living one. She, she's going back with this message saying, God sees. God sees even me, this, this Egyptian slave. God sees the pain. God sees the hurt. God sees the problem. God sees. She's coming back with a message of hope, with a message of good news. And she's, she's bringing back this gospel hope where she can say, Sarah, I, I, God knows you're barren. He sees, he knows your pain. Abram, God sees that the problem hasn't been fulfilled yet. He sees the hurt. He sees, he hears, he knows, and he's at work. A couple things as we end here I want us to see. First, like Abram and Sarai, especially like Hagar, as we read through this, what is God calling you to do that is hard to do? It's hard to trust. It's hard to follow what God's called you to. Maybe it's forgive somebody. Maybe it's a ministry that God's called you to and you know you're supposed to, supposed to pour your life out for that. Maybe it's a relationship that needs to be healed. Maybe, maybe it's a relationship you need to leave. Maybe it's Repentance, it needs to happen. You need to open up and be honest for the first time and you've been hiding sin for so long. Maybe for you this morning, it's, it's actually taking a stand and saying, I'm gonna follow Christ. I've been checking out Jesus for a long time. I've been coming to the church for a long time. My, my parents drag me out or my kid drags me out or my spouse drags me out or I just come because it's, it's just kind of cool to be here. But maybe for you this morning, the hard thing that God's been calling you to is, would you lay your life down and follow me? Maybe for you, you're a believer and it's, it's baptism and you've held out on it for so long. I don't know if I could stand up and proclaim that, that Christ is my Lord to everybody. I don't know if I, and, and he's saying, listen, just do it. Just do it. Just, just move forward. Just trust me. Because listen, God has poured out his grace on us for us to then become a messenger of grace to the world. What is it that God's called you to? I mean, step out today and trust that God will fulfill his promises through you and in you now. Now, how can I be so bold to say that? Because here's the other thing I want to leave with us this morning. As, as you look at this whole story being played out, you see some very broken, busted up people, and yet God still steps in, in grace. Listen, Abraham does not deserve to be the father of a multitude. Sarah does not deserve to have a child of promise. Hagar does not deserve to be sought out by God in the middle of the desert, but God steps in, his grace steps in. And listen, this is the grace that changes us. So is there hope for inner emptiness? Where do we run to when, when culture has said, hey, hey, here's your hope and you've tried that and it's failed. Listen, every other religion, every other system we can set up for ourselves to find hope, all is the same. It's all this. God is, <coughs> is at the top of the ladder and every rung is what do I need to do to get to God? What good things do I need to accomplish? Who do I need to become? 
Do I, uh, I need to live in the right place. I need to look the right way. I need to go to the right school. I need to have the right family. And, and we work our way up this ladder. And yet you, you see here in this account, look, look, weak, messed up, broken people who don't seek God's grace, who don't deserve God's grace, who continually resist God's grace. Even when God showed it to them, they don't appreciate it. And yet God reaches down. That's the amazing truth of the gospel. God doesn't say, come up to me. God comes down to us. God sees, he hears, he answers. And every time we try to solve the problem of our heart, the brokenness in us, every time we try to solve it by climbing the ladder, we say, listen, I'm gonna get this child a promise. I'm gonna get this child of laughter, of joy. I'm gonna get that. Every time we climb the ladder, we miss the child of promise and we end up with the wild donkey, with the fighting and the striving. Our hope is that we rest in the grace of God. And this resting is hard work. It's grabbing a hold of these promises. It's clinging to what God calls us to, even when the storms of life, even when all the stuff is crashing in all around us. Because listen, Hagar did not go back to an easy environment. Hagar goes back into a place that was difficult. Her and Sarah, we'll see, they never got along, ever. You, you read the story and they, they fight all along. But her heart is filled in the midst of those trials, is filled with the promise she heard, God's gonna take care of me. God has a plan and a purpose for me. And it's freeing to live that way. It's freeing when you believe God will handle this. It's freeing when you recognize my reward is in heaven. It's freeing when you believe that God will mete out justice in a satisfactory way. It's freeing when you recognize, God, you can be trusted completely in this. You're set free. You, you worry less. You, you stress less. You stew less. You, you try to control things less. You try to get revenge less. Listen, when we increase in our understanding of God's grace for us, that grace changes us. What do we rest in? We rest in this, that Jesus Christ came and he took what we deserved. He took what Abram deserved. He, he took what Sarah deserved. He took what we deserve and he, and he poured out grace. As the worship team comes up, one commentator said this about what this text is saying. He said this, he said, you'll always be a slave to your culture, to the identity that culture gives you until your heart is completely convinced that God loves you. That God loves you as you are, not based on your performance. I mean, only when we see that, that Jesus took all the pain and shame on himself, only when we, when we turn and we repent from going into looking to all these horizontal ways, all these things, this will give me identity, this will give me hope. When we turn from that and we turn, listen, God in his grace turns to us. Why? Because he didn't turn to Christ when Christ was on the cross. He hears your cry because he didn't hear Christ's cry. And only when you see that in Jesus, you're a child of God, you're not a slave. And all those other things, job, family, health, possessions, those are good things for us to enjoy, but they no longer enslave you as a taskmaster. They're no longer things that you have to have or else you're barren. 
You're set free by God's increased grace. Set free. Let me pray for us. Dear God, Heavenly Father, I thank you so much that, that we are not slaves. If, if we are in Christ Jesus this morning, that you've set us free, free from running after all those things that we think will give us hope and identity and life. And, and God, we know that, that we always come up empty, but God, you've given us a promise, a promise of new life, a promise of a new son, Jesus, so that we're set free, no longer slaves, but now children of God. Well, God, I pray that we could understand that more deeply this morning. I pray that we'd be set free by that truth this morning and, and be sent out of here as those increased in your grace to be messengers of grace to those around us. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.